You didn't know what you were going to encounter. You had night riders. You had hoodlums. You could be antagonized at any point in your journey. Charles Person. This is the story of the Freedom Riders, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. So it began in 1947 when the journey of reconciliation, also called the first Freedom Ride, and it was led by Bayard Rustin and George Heiser. It was co-sponsored by the Fellowship of Reconciliation, and then the fledgling Congress of Racial Equality. Or core, it would inspire the Freedom Riders of 1961, and its aim was to test the court ruling that banned racial discrimination in interstate travel. Rustin, along with Igel Rondego, Joe Felmat, and Andrew Johnson, were all arrested and sentenced to chain work for violating local Jim Crow laws. May 4, 1961, the first Freedom Ride began. It was led by Corps Director James Foreman. It left Washington D.C. on Greyhound and Trailways buses. The plan seemed simple today. They were to ride through Virginia, the Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, ending in New Orleans, where a civil rights rally was to happen. The riders were sponsored by Corps and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC. With most of the riders aged between 18 and 30, the Freedom Riders plan was to have one interracial pair sitting together, at least one black rider at the front where only whites could sit, and the rest would be scattered on the bus, with one rider abiding by the law, sitting in the segregated area, so they wouldn't be arrested, and could contact Corps to have bail for those who were arrested. Minor issues happened in Virginia and North Carolina. But rider John Lewis was attacked in South Carolina. Over 300 riders were arrested in Charlotte, Winsboro, and Jackson. So in Birmingham, Alabama, Bull Connor, the police commissioner, and Tom Cook, the police sergeant, who was a KKK supporter, well, the pair organized violence with local Klan chapters against Freedom Riders. Plans were made to end the ride in Alabama. Gary Thompson Rowe or Thompson Neil Moore, a paid informant and FBI agent who infiltrated the KKK, and was part of the most violent Klan group, Eastview Clavine Number、no. Thirteen. He was assured the mob could attack for 15 minutes with no arrests. Attacks would start in Anniston and end in Birmingham. Mother's Day, May 14, 1961. In Anniston, a mob of Klansmen attacked a Greyhound bus. The driver tried to leave the station and was blocked by the KKK, as they slashed the tires. The bus still tried to leave, but had to stop just miles outside the town. Fire bombs were thrown into the bus. As flames erupted inside, the mob outside held the doors shut, with the intention to burn the riders alive. But something happened. Either a fuel tank exploded, or an undercover state investigator used his revolver, and the mob retreated, allowing the riders to escape. But as they fled, the mob battered them, 
patrolman fired into the air to disperse the crowd and avoid the riders being lynched. The injured were taken to Aniston Memorial Hospital. Most of the injured riders were refused care and had to leave by 2am because staff feared the mob gathering outside. Local civil rights leader Reverend Shuttlesworth had cars rescue the riders. Colonel Stone Johnson led the team, who were openly armed when they got to the hospital, to protect the riders from the mob. The Trailways bus came to Aniston an hour after Greyhound bus fire. Eight Klansmen boarded and battered the Freedom Riders, leaving them semi-unconscious at the back of the bus. When the bus got to Birmingham, a mob of KKK members attacked. They were helped and protected by the police from orders of Commissioner Bull Connor. As the riders came off the bus, they were beaten with bats, iron pipes and chains. Among the attackers was the undercover FBI informant Gary Thompson's role. The white Freedom Riders were beaten extra hard. James Peck needed 50 stitches. He went to Caraway Methodist Medical Center and was refused care there. When reporters got to Robert Kennedy, the then US Attorney General, and he urged restraint from the Freedom Riders and sent help to try cool the situation. Despite the violence and the threat of more, the Freedom Riders wanted to go on. Kennedy arranged escort for the riders to get them to Montgomery safely, but radio reports had a mob waiting at the bus terminal and on the route to Montgomery. Greyhound clerks came out to say the drivers refused to drive any Freedom Riders anywhere. Seeing their efforts had called national attention to civil rights and wanting to make the rally on time, the riders chose to abandon the rest of the bus ride and flew to New Orleans. But the drama wasn't over yet. When they boarded the plane, all passengers had to get off from a bomb threat. When they arrived in New Orleans, locals weren't happy and accommodation was made unavailable until Norma Francis, the president of Xavier University of Louisiana, housed them on campus in secret. Diane Nash, leader of the Nashville Student Movement and SNCC, believed if the Freedom Riders stopped, it would set back the movement, so she pushed to replace the riders and start the rides again. May 17th had a new set of riders and they took a bus to Birmingham where Bull Connor was waiting. He had them arrested and jailed. In jail, they sang freedom songs to keep their spirits up. Connor snapped, couldn't take it anymore, and took them to Tennessee Line. Once dropped off, the riders immediately went back to Birmingham. SNCC called for freedom riders in the east of the US to join John Lewis and Hank Thomas, members of the original ride, who were in Birmingham. On May 19th, the ride was tried again, but a screaming crowd surrounded sur uh, the depot and the drivers couldn't move. The riders inside had no choice. They had to wait all night for another bus. With intense public pressure from Kennedy's team, Greyhound were made to get a driver. John Patterson, Alabama governor, would grind his teeth in reluctance but agreed to protect the bus from KKK mobs. The morning of May 20th, the Freedom Riders started again 
and protected by the Alabama State Highway Patrol, the bus with the riders traveled to Montgomery. The Highway Patrol abandoned the bus before it got to the station. At the station, a white mob waited, armed with weapons. Once the riders got off the bus, they were beaten with no intervention. The white riders were beaten too. Photographers had their cameras smashed, but a photo of Jim Swag, a white rider, was taken of him in hospital, showing his injuries. Ambulance refused to take any wounded, so local black residents rescued them and took them to hospital. The next night, May 21st, over 1,500 people packed Reverend Ralph Abernathy's First Baptist Church to honour the Freedom Riders. Speakers included Martin Luther King Jr., Reverend Shuttlesworth and James Foreman. Outside, a 3,000 mob stood. They attacked attendees, with a few US Marshals protecting the church from firebombs and assault. Police, state and city did nothing to restore order. Civil rights leaders called for protection from President John Kennedy. The Kennedy threatened to get involved with federal troops if the governor wouldn't protect the people. Eventually, Governor Patterson ordered in the Alabama National Guard. May 22nd, more Freedom Riders arrived to replace the injured and continue the ride. Kennedy's team got an agreement from Governor of Alabama and Mississippi that riders would be protected. As part of the agreement, federal government wouldn't stop local police arresting Freedom Riders violating segregation laws when the buses arrived. May 24th, Freedom Riders boarded buses to Jackson, Mississippi. The buses arrived with no incident. But once at Jackson, the riders were arrested when they tried to use the white-only facilities. The third bus arrived May 28 and once again, the Freedom Riders on board were all arrested. There is a reason for these arrests on a tactical level. The authorities were trying to fill the jails. Once full, the Freedom Riders went to the infamous Mississippi State Penitentiary, which was called Parchman Farm. The riders were strongly abused here, being put on death row, ordered into their underwear, no exercise and no post. When the riders wouldn't stop singing their freedom songs, their mattresses were taken, as well as their sheets and toothbrushes. At one point, over 300 freedom riders were in Parchment Farm. Back in Jackson, freedom riders were getting support from local grassroots civil rights organisations. One to note was the Woman Power Limited. They raised money and collected items like soap for imprisoned riders. When the riders were released, the Women Power members gave them a place to bathe with clean clothes and food. The riders called the Women Power members angels. So the Kennedy boys, they were dealing with a lot like the Cold War and wanted a quote, cooling off period, end quote. They said that the riders were unpatriotic and embarrassing the nation. James Foreman, head of his corps, had this to say to the Kennedys, quote, We have been cooling off for 350 years, and if we cooled off any more, we'd be in a deep freeze, end quote. The Soviet Union also called out the US for the racism and hatred to the riders. International outrage had pressure on US political leaders. 
May 29, 1961, Attorney General Kennedy sent a petition to the Interstate Commerce Commission asking to comply with the bus segregation ruling. CORE SNCC and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, or SCLC, tossed the cooling off period idea. They would form the Freedom Riders Coordinating Committee to keep riders going through June till September. Over 60 rides took place in this time, most ending in Jackson, with every rider arrested. Summer 1961, the Freedom Riders campaign against other forms of racial discrimination. They would sit in segregated restaurants, lunch counters and hotels. This was effective, with large companies fearing boycotts in the north. Hotels began desegregating. Mid-June, Freedom Riders would end their ride in Tallahassee in Florida, with the plan to fly home. At the airport, they decided to get food at an only whites restaurant. They cancelled their, pla their plane reservation and waited for the restaurant to open. They waited until 11pm and gave up, coming back the next day. At this point, an angry mob had gathered. June 16th, the Freedom Riders were arrested for unlawful assembly. They were convicted, which was appealed. But in 1963, the Supreme Court refused to hear the case due to jurisdictional reasons. In 1964, the Tallahassee 10 protesters, as they were called, served brief sentences. Early August, SNCC members James Foreman, Paul Brooks and civil rights activist Ella Baker were planning a freedom ride for Robert Williams. He was an extremely off-the-rails NAACP chapter president for Moreau. Williams declared an eye-for-an-eye approach as no protection was coming for racial attacks by the but the NAACP didn't want violence and didn't agree with the whole approach, so they chucked Williams from the organisation. Williams continued on his work fighting segregation and he got opposition from white and black communities. He got a lot of death threats from it. Some SNCC saw Williams' idea but kept the main approach of the Gandhi non-violence. James Foreman, though, still supported Williams. Freedom riders in Monroe were brutally attacked by white supremacists with the go-ahead from local police. August 27th, James Foreman was hit unconscious with a butt of the rifle and then taken to jail. Police and white supremacists went into the town shooting at black civilians who did not return fire. Robert Williams, the guy booted from NAACP, fortified the black neighborhood against the attacks and at some stage held a white couple who had got lost during the chaos, but did release them. However, the police got wind of this and accused Williams of kidnapping and wanted state forces and FBI to arrest Williams. Fearing he would be lynched, Williams fled to Cuba. Movement lawyers encouraged the Freedom Riders not to practice jail no bail strategy. Local officials also wanted to de-escalate the situation, so they would suspend sentences of demonstrators found guilty. But Ryder John Larry and others did go to trial for the kidnapping case and served prison time. 
1965, these convictions were vacated because of the exclusion of African Americans from the jury selection. September 13, 1961, 15 priests, including three African American priests, entered Trailways Bus Terminal in Jackson. They at some point entered a coffee shop and two police officers stopped the group and he asked for them to leave. When the group said no, all 15 were arrested and jailed. The case would be dismissed May 21, 1962. The group looked for damages against the police, but this was ultimately rejected. So come September, CORE and SNCC were making plans for a mass demonstration, which would be called Washington Post. The aim was a non-violent demonstration at the capital city to apply pressure to ICC and Kennedy's team. The idea was preempted though when the ICC finally issued policies by month's end. The new policies began November 1st, 1961. When the new rule came into effect, passengers could sit anywhere they wanted. There was no more white signs or colored signs no de designated fountains, toilets or waiting rooms, and lunch counters served all people. Widespread violence from the Freedom Riders sent shockwaves through the US. People were worried the riders were causing social disorder and racial split, an opinion the press also had. At the same time, the Freedom Riders had great credibility with African Americans and white people in the US and inspired many into civil rights. The riders would inspire other campaigns, including vote registration. To celebrate the 50th anniversary, the riders who were still alive were invited on to the Oprah Winfrey Show. May 6 to 16, 2011, 40 college students went on a bus ride from Washington, D.C. to New Orleans, retracing the original route. May 19 to 21, 2011, the Freedom Riders were commemorated in Montgomery at the new Freedom Ride Museum in the old Greyhound bus terminal. Late 2011, inspired by the story, Palestinian activists used the same method in Israel and boarded buses they were excluded from. Then January 2017, President Barack Obama declared Anniston, Alabama, bus station, the Freedom Riders National Monument. And that is the story of the Freedom Riders. Hit that like and subscribe button on my YouTube and follow my podcast. Join me next time for the Old Miss Riot of 1962. It is also called the Battle of Oxford. It was an instant of mob violence by proponents of racial segregation starting the night of September 30th, 1962. It was sparked by the opposition to the enrollment of African-American student James Meredith. Soon, federal and U.S. state law enforcements were sent in to maintain civil order, but a riot erupted on campus. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil 